0: Well, one day there was a man who came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, can you tell us like, what's the greatest command? Like what, what's, the, what's the big thing here? Could you give me the big idea? And what this guy was trying to do is he was trying to get his priorities in order. You know, he wanted to know, like, what's the most important command? And, and especially for, you know, a, a Jewish man at that time and period, I mean, you got to remember in the Old Testament, there were 613 commands, 613 laws to keep. There weren't 10 commandments. There were 613 of them. So he's, like, you know, trying to prioritize. So like, you know, okay, I can't get all of them right, Jesus. So, like, if there was, like, a top one, could you tell me, you know, what that is? And so... Jesus, he turns to this man and he says, yeah, he goes, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what he's about to quote to them is something that they had all heard, they had all known. It was in the Old Testament. I mean, every every person who had visited the temple, who grew up in a Jewish household, they knew what Jesus was about to say. It was a very churchy answer. And so Jesus gives the churchy answer, and he says this. He goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? And everybody had known this. Everybody had heard this. So Jesus goes, this is the most important thing. And they're like, yeah, 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 figured figured that's probably what you'd say, you know. But then he says something to them that they'd never heard before. He says something to him that would make him stop and go, wait, what, 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 did, what did he just say? Like we checked out for a minute because we've all heard that before. But, but what did he just say? And he says this to them. He goes, but the second is this. It's not second as in after, it's second as in the same. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there is no greater command, not commands, plural, command, meaning they're one together. He says, there's no greater command greater than these. Now again, this was was new information to them. They had never heard anything like this before. This was not in their Old Testament Bible, you know. And then all of a sudden, another teacher in the audience steps forward. And he says this. He goes, Well said, teacher. He doesn't recognize him as the Messiah or as a Savior or as the Son of God. He looks at him like a peer. You know, it would be like as after I got done saying something, you know, Mike Lair got up behind me and was like, well said pastor, you know, that reminds me of a time once in Africa, you know, that's what it would kind of be like. Right. And so he says, well said teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And then the man says something that blew Jesus's mind, right? This man, this teacher, he, he says this. He says, to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This teacher stands up and, and comes right next to Jesus, doesn't even understand what he's doing, doesn't even understand whose toes he's stepping on. But he vouches for Jesus, and he goes, oh, yes. He goes, you're exactly right. He goes, this is more important than anything that you could do at the temple. Wow. And do you know what Jesus' response was? <laughs> Jesus, he, he when he saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, and this is so important, this is so good, because Jesus, I imagine Jesus' jaw dropped like, oh, my God goodness. Because this was like somebody understanding the code before it was even cracked or revealed. This was like somebody spoiling the end of the movie and you're going, how in the world did you know it was going to end that way? Nobody had, nobody had seen it yet, but Jesus' jaw kind of drops. And I just imagined for a minute that he maybe calls the man forward and the apostles are like, what's going to happen? Is Jesus going to punch him in the face or what's going to go on? And he goes, hey you, come here. And he puts his hand on his shoulder and just looks at him with these eyes. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus was amazed that this man could understand this already. It was amazing that this other teacher understood what the Pharisees were missing. That that it was so important. That what it was about was loving God and loving people. And it was so much bigger and more important than the, the than the you know the the acts that were going through at the temple, that the hoops that were people were jumping through. It was so much bigger than that, so much beyond that. And he looks at this man and he puts his hand on his shoulder and just goes, "Wow." You, my friend, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And you know what that means? You know what that means? That means that the kingdom of God is not far from you. What we're going to do today, what we're going to start that's going to lead us all the way to Easter is, I want to tell you a story. And it's a true story. But it's a story that really, we shouldn't know about. It's a story that never should have been documented. It never should have made it through the empire of Rome when the emperor Nero was in charge. It's a story that never should have made its way to us here 2,000 years later. But it did. And it's a story that's narrated by a man known as Simon Peter, or as you may know him as Peter. And Simon Peter was an apostle of Jesus's. He met Jesus early on in his ministry and he was with Jesus for roughly three to three and a half years. And and he lived with Jesus. I mean, he traveled with Jesus. He was there when when, when Jesus was was teaching. And and, and Simon Peter had this opportunity to tell his story. to, to, To tell not what he read, not what he was told, but to tell what he saw. Because... During during this time, after after those three and a half years that that he walks with Jesus and he lives with Jesus and he watches Jesus, and then Jesus is crucified and then Jesus is resurrected and, and Peter witnesses that too, and then Jesus leaves. We have about thirty years where where Peter tries to live this out. Tries to live the way that his his Savior, that his friend, that his Messiah taught him to live. And so he's got 30 years to live this out. And, and during those 30 years as he traveled and as he was a leader in the church, everywhere that he really went, he was asked this question. And the question was this. What is he like? Tell us. Tell us, Peter, what, what was he like? Tell us about Jesus. Tell us about the Messiah. Tell us what he said. Tell us what he did. And Peter told the same story over and over and over and over again. And here's the thing. This story, it's hard for us to understand this, but this story, it, it comes to us in the form of the Bible, Right? And all of us, it's very easy to become skeptical of the Bible. Especially when it's combined with that, that Old Testament, that Old Covenant, that New Testament, that New Covenant. And so it's easy to pick and, park and park, pick apart and stuff. But here's what I want you to do for the next few weeks. I want you to focus on just one story. On one man's narrative. One man's perspective. And that's Peter's. Because when you're able to do that, you understand that this is not a Bible story. This is not the Bible says, this is Peter says. And this is something that Peter saw with his own eyes. And when you start to look at it through that lens, when you start to understand it that way, some of the skepticism falls aside. Because, I mean, I've known people for a long time who've said, well, I'm kind of skeptical of that Bible. I'm kind of skeptical about what the Bible says because there's some things there that sometimes don't line up for me. There's some things that don't make sense. I kind of have my thoughts about the Bible. Maybe the Bible is like this thing that was trying to put people in power or get, you know, try to build this organization called the church that was there to control people or to manipulate people. But here's the thing. When you start to read the story of Peter... When you start to read his narrative, the way that he tells it, you start to understand very quickly that this is not something meant to control anyone or to give power to anyone or authority to anyone. Because the thing is, is throughout Peter's narrative and story, he doesn't make himself look very good. I mean, when Peter tells his story, it makes him look weak. It makes him look like a bad friend. It makes him look like a doubter. I mean, there's so many times where Peter, he betrays. He betrays his Messiah. He betrays his friend. And this was not something that that, that gave Peter fame or fortune or power or authority. you got to understand, this story didn't do any favors for Peter. This story would lead to all of his friends' deaths. This story would lead to his own public execution. I mean, Peter's not trying to take advantage of anybody. Peter's not getting any anything good out of this for himself or for his family. Actually, everything that, that followed was was bad for Peter. But for 30 years, for 30 years he travels all over and people ask him what was he like, what was he like, what was he like will you tell us the stories? And he told the same stories over and over and over again telling, him, telling people what he saw, what he saw. And during the midst of the persecution of Christians, when, when, when all of Peter's friends are basically being put on trial and, 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 and killed or, or, or murdered in the streets, Peter's really one of the only ones left besides John and and things are going on with Paul, but they're all scattered about and they're not together. It's not organized like you may think it is. And so finally the emperor Nero catches up to Peter. He's in his like late fifties. So Peter's in his his late fifties and emperor Nero finally catches up to him and he's put in prison and Peter knows this is the end. This is where my road, this is where my road ends. This is where the story ends for me. And he had a traveling companion, somebody he mentored, somebody who was a good friend to him. And his name was John Mark, or as you may know him as, Mark. And so what happened was, is Peter's in prison in Rome. And during that time, you could have visitors, you could have guests, because the prisons did not take care of you. They would throw you in jail, and the only way you were kept alive is by people coming by, visiting you, and giving you food, medicine, you know, things to do. And so you could have visitors. Well, John Mark, he travels to Rome to take care of Peter, his friend, and he says to Peter, Simon Peter, we know how this is going to end for you. We, we have to get your story down. We, 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 you have to tell it to me. We have to write it down. It, it cannot end here with you. Will you please, will you tell me the story one more time? And will you let me write it down? Will you, will you let me document it for you? So here's what you have to understand. Peter, Peter is in prison. It's a story he's told for 30 years. Something he's tried to live out for 30 years. And he agrees with Mark. Fine. Let's write it down. Let's document it. And if you sit down with just this document, just the book of Mark, which is not from Mark, it's from Peter. It's disjointed. It's kind of like jumps around in timelines and stuff. Like, if you read it all the way through, you're like, wait a minute, what, what, where, where is he right now? I'm very, very confused. But here's what you have to understand Peter was in jail. He knew he was going to be executed, but he didn't have an execution date, guys. He didn't know if he had five minutes, he didn't know if he had two weeks or if he had ten years. He had no idea how much time he had. So so John Mark sits down and he starts to document this for him and, and transcribe it and he goes, All right, go ahead, tell me the story. And he just starts scribbling. He just starts taking notes. And he starts everything that Peter gives him. He just starts writing down. So that's why sometimes it's clunky. Sometimes that's why it it, it jumps around. Because you have to understand. They did not sit down to write the Bible. That's not their intention. That's not what they did. They didn't sit down to write the Bible. Or the book of Mark. they just like, let's write a memoir. That's not what he did. He was sitting down to get Peter's story. On paper. So that it could continue to be told. And when they were done, they didn't go back and edit it. Okay, They didn't go back and make it look pretty. They didn't think, well, this is going to be copied for a long time, right? No, and so th- th- when you look at it and the disjointedness and you're like, well, there's some details missing and it skips around, that doesn't take away the, the truth out of it. For any, More than anything, it tells you how true it is that this is just an old man's story of what he saw. It wasn't a book written to manipulate people. It wasn't a book put together to look pretty. It's there and it's, it's raw and it's real and it's unique. And it's from a man named Peter. So they sit down to write down Peter's story of what he saw. And Mark goes, all right, where do you want to start? And again, Peter, he doesn't know how much time he has, right? So the first chapter is a real jumble. I mean, it's a mess starting out, right? So they, they sit down, and Peter's like, uh, all right, how am I going to start this? Okay, whew, here we go. Uh, write this down, all right? And he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I can imagine Mark going, okay, wait, 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 wait. That's, 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 that's a weird beginning. All right, let's hang on. Let's... Back it up just a little bit. Are are we still on this? Like, you're you're telling me you really believe that he was the son of God, that he was God on earth. You're telling me, like, that's really what you think? And Peter would have said, oh, my goodness. Yes, Mark. Yes, how many times have I told you? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes. They wouldn't know this at the time, but they actually had a good amount of time. Actually, they had so much time that, that Peter would write down more than even what he gave Mark. Later on, he would write uh, the First Peter, and he would be able to write down more. And in First Peter, he goes, oh, yes, let me tell you more of what I saw. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Absolutely, Mark. Absolutely, I believe he was the son of God. Because I'm telling you, when stuff hit the fan, when things got bad, I mean, I watched it with my own eyes. I wanted to retaliate. I actually picked up a sword and I was ready to fight. And he, he put himself into the hands of his father and entrusted his life with him. And I was there. He would tell you, I was there. Let me tell you what else I saw. I mean, I saw it when He bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. I was there because I saw His wounds that created for us the possibility to be healed. I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes, and I saw what He was doing, and I didn't understand it at the time. I thought I was just watching my friend, my teacher, my, my Savior, my Messiah die. But then later on, I'm able to understand what He was doing was bearing my sins. He was taking on my debt for me. And yeah... I I believe he is the son of God because let me tell you, man, I praise him. Praise be to the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because I'm telling you, Mark, I was there when three days later he was alive and he was in front of me. I had breakfast with a man who should have been dead. So yes, yes, I believe that he is the son of God. Now, be quiet, pick up your pen, and let me get back to my story. And so he says this, and then he starts to get into, if you read the first chapter of Mark, he, he wants to get into how he and Jesus met, Right? He's like, yeah, so let me, let me tell you how you know, Jesus met us all, right, where this begins. And then he stops. And again, you got to understand, he's flustered. He doesn't know how much time he has. And so he stops telling that story of how he met. And he goes, okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you about this one time in Galilee, okay? And again, Mark's going like, what, what? And he goes, yeah, 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 I need to jump forward. Like, after John the Baptist was executed and we went up north to Galilee, I, I got, we got to get this down. This is the, probably the most important thing. This is like, this is the real good news. Okay. So I write this down really quick. Okay. And so they stop in the middle of a story and jump like two years later. Right. So they jump and that's just why it's so disjointed. I mean, it's like, it's like the a diary of a madman almost. Right. And so he jumps forward and he's like, I got to tell you about the good news. Right. I got to tell you about this really, really, really good news that Jesus shared. Now, let me ask you a question. When we talk about the good news, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, let me ask you a question. What's the good news of Jesus? If somebody trapped you in an elevator, okay? If somebody trapped you in an elevator or you had five minutes with somebody and they're like, Hey, can you, can you tell me like real quick, can you give me an elevator pitch for the good news of Jesus? Just tell me, why do you follow Jesus? What's the good news of Jesus? What would you say? And don't answer out loud because you're all going to be wrong. Okay. What, what would the good news be? If you're if your family member, if somebody walked off the street, if I, if I told you, hey, we're going to take five minutes, I want you to turn to the person next to you, explain the good news to them in, in a few sentences. What would you say? I know what you'd say. Because I grew up in church. My daddy's a pastor. You met him last week, okay? I, I, I know what I would have said. I know what I would tell people if you grew up in church, or depending on your religious experience, you'd probably say something close to the same thing. We would probably all say this. Well, Jesus died for my sin, and if I put my faith in Jesus, I get to go to heaven. And in the meantime, I just need to behave myself. Sound about right? Tell me the good news of Jesus. Jesus died for my sins. If I believe in him, I get to go to heaven. And I'm just waiting for all the people from that other political party to die so I can go to heaven, right? I mean, that's what you say. That's 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 Christianity in a nutshell, right? And let me tell you something. If Peter was here, if you sat down with Peter, Peter would tell you you're crazy. Peter would tell you you're wrong. That is not the good news of the gospel. That That's not it. You missed it. Not true. You're way off. And here's the thing. He would tell you that not because that isn't true, But because that's not the point. You with me? Not because it isn't true, but because that is not the point. So Mark tells us through the narrative of Peter what the real good news is all about. So Peter stops and goes, Wait, wait, I gotta tell you this one story. We're we're up north in Galilee, and this is what happened. So after John, he's talking about John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. He's so focused on the good news because we got to get this out. This is all good news. People need to understand this is good news, this is good news, this is good news. So let me tell you, there was that one time we went north to Galilee. It was about the time when John was in jail and about to be beheaded. And we went and shared the good news. And I watched my Savior, I watched my teacher go around all around Galilee. There was this body of water in the middle of it. And he was all around it. And he was telling people the good news. And this is what he said. He goes, I remember he went around and he told everyone, everyone he came into contact with, everyone we saw, Jesus said the same thing. The time has come. Which meant, when you start to break down the Greek of, of, of what, what Peter was trying to explain to us and trying to understand, what he was saying was, what everyone has been waiting for is here. What you've always wanted, what you've prayed for, what you've hoped for, what you've always looked forward to, the time has come, it is here, it has arrived, it's it's here. And then he says this, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the good news. Not that Jesus died for our sins. And if we believe in him, we get to go to heaven. No, no, that's good. That's good. That's true. That's great. But that's not the good news. Out of the words of Jesus, what Peter heard him say is the good news is that the kingdom of God has come near. you got to understand what that means. I mean, what he's talking about is that The offended party, God. The offended party, the one who we sinned against, the one we rejected, the one we pushed out. The offended party looked at us in the middle of our situation, in the middle of our curse, in the middle of our pain, and decided, even though he was the offended party, he chose to come near to us. He chose to come near to us, To be our comforter, to be our king. And when his kingdom came near, what that meant, what that meant, it it was a new way of living. It was a new community. It was his kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. And it was a kingdom unlike any kingdom we had ever seen. It was a kingdom where the last were first, where the least of these were the most, almost the most important. It was a kingdom where all of a sudden things would be reordered and reworked where we were to love God and love one another. And if you could love God, but you couldn't love one another, then it was all null and void. You had to love God and you had to love one another. And he ushered in this new kingdom about reconciliation and about grace and about mercy and about love, about being slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen. And quick to love back. And quick to forgive. He introduced this brand new kingdom that was unlike any other kingdom. And it was all built on this new king. A king like nobody had ever seen. A king who didn't use his power and authority to get people to do his bidding. But instead came to serve. It was a king who came to wash feet. To pay for people's debts. To to die for our transgressions and to walk among us and to love us and to show us grace. That is the good news that the kingdom of God chose to come near. And and here's what that means for you and for me. When we were far off, God came near. When you were far off, when you were the prodigal son returning home he didn't wait for you to get back to the house he didn't sit up there with his hands on his hips he he ran out to meet you he ran out went out he didn't wait for you to get to get back to him he went out to you that is the good news of the gospel That you were far off. And when you were far off and when you deserved to be forgotten, when you deserved to be left, when you were out of second chances, God chose to come near to you. And he literally left his throne. He literally left his kingdom to come and to be with you in a broken world. To show you how to live. To show you how to love. Not so you could make it to heaven. So that you could be adopted into his family. And not just be people who followed him. But to be his sons and his daughters in his family. He continues on. And he says... I was there. I, we went around everywhere. And he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There was something that was required of everybody. It was good news. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Well, what is required of us? What do we got to do? Repent and believe. If you look at the Greek of those words, you know, when we think of repent, we think of like the preacher standing on the street, you know, you know, yelling, "Repent, repent! The end is near." There's actually a guy who does that in Troy. He sits, he stands on the corner over here, and and when, if I'm outside doing something on the building, I stand on our corner and I go, oh, "He's not with us." Anyway. Um, <laughs> Because he's just so close to the building. It kind of scares me, you know? But he's like yelling, and he's got a thing, you know? He's like, eh, the end is near, the end is near, you know? We're all going to die. And, um, and so, That's what we think in our head, right? And even John the Baptist. When John the Baptist, you know, started off, that's what he did. Repent, you know, the the kingdom of God is here. Repent, repent. He was telling people, turn from your sin, turn from your sin, turn from your sin. That's what we think. But in the Greek translation of this, when Peter said it, and he, I mean, he had this perspective. I mean, he's 30 plus years beyond this. He goes, I understand what Jesus meant when he told people to repent and believe. What he was telling them to do is to turn in a different direction. To turn towards this way of thinking. The kingdom of God has come near. We have this new kingdom here available to us. And we have a new king to follow. And his kingship has come. His right to rule has arrived here on earth. And he is here. And so what you need to do is you've got to get on board with this. You've got to embrace the way this kingdom operates. This is what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, that's what he was trying to tell people to do. He was not trying to tell people how to earn heaven. You can't earn heaven. That was taken care of. He was telling people, look, if you're going to be a citizen of heaven, this is what it's going to look like to be there. And some of you, you're going to get there, and you're not going to like it there. Because my kingdom, what it's built on, is these are the characteristics. This is what it looks like. Look at the life of Jesus. This is what it It looks like to be a citizen of heaven, of my kingdom. And so he's teaching these principles. And so when he says repent, he goes, you need to embrace this. You need to think this way. You need to believe this way. You need to process things this way. Your emotions need to be drawn this way. This is what it meant to repent. And when he says believe, what he was saying was submit. That Greek word believe doesn't mean I think. It means I believe, I submit to, I give myself. To it. So Jesus shares this good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Here is your new option, and I am your king. And here's what I want you to do I want you to embrace it. I want you to take these things I'm teaching, I want you to adopt them, and I want you to submit to them, and I want you to give your life to them. And Peter, if he were standing here, would say, That's what I've been trying to do the last 30 years. The kingdom of God came near. I had the Messiah and the teacher in front of me. And these are the things he said. And these are the things he taught. And I have been trying to, to embrace them. To think like him. To believe like him. And give myself to this kingdom my entire life. When we were at Married People Getaway. The, the speaker, Ken Jenkins. It was an awesome time. Ken said this thing that's really stuck with me. Like when he said it, I was like, oh my goodness, that is so good. He he said this quote. Ken said, God can't do anything about it until you agree upon it. God can't do anything about it until you agree upon it. And that has been in my brain for the last two weeks. I'm like, wow, God can't do anything about it until you agree upon it with him. You know, as a pastor, something I hear a lot... And again, my dad was a pastor, so I remember my dad getting this a lot too. But I think I get it a little bit more because I think it's a cultural thing today. As a pastor, what I hear a lot of people say is, Hey, good sermon, you know. I I, I get what you're saying. I like that. That's really cool. But, But here's my thing, okay? When I think about that, I just wonder, is that... Can that happen? I just wonder, like, is that can that be real? You know, like uh, you know, if we, we we talk about generosity, you know what I mean? We talk about giving. We're talking about having a giving plan, how to practice generosity. And you know, I'll have people tell me all the time, hey, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's a really good message. I get it, I get it. it makes sense. I I love that. But, you know, I just I don't have I don't have enough. You know, I get some people are in that situation. Some people are able to do that, but I'm just not. Just doesn't. I I just can't see it working out. I wouldn't be able to do this stuff, and that's that's why I get what you're saying. I love it. I just can't can't do that because of this. You know, or you know, we talk about forgiveness or reconciliation, and people are like, "Man, that was a great sermon. I love that. That that sounds great." But see, I just don't see how it's possible. When, you know, this situation happened and when it comes to like this person and, and here's a story and here's a reason why it just doesn't, it doesn't work out for me. And, and basically, here's what I get a lot of, okay? This is the, the review of a, of, a, of, a, of a sermon in 2023, okay? It <laughs> sounds like this. Pastor, I get what you're saying, but it's impractical. Pastor, I get what you're saying. I love that. I love that, and I get it. It makes sense. You did such a good job of making it make sense. But it's impractical. It's impractical for me to forgive somebody. It's impractical for me to be generous. It's impractical for somebody to do that. It's impractical. I don't think everybody's really going to do that. So, I get it. It's awesome. I just don't see it happening. Because it's impractical. And here's the thing. Probably every single one of us, we have something. Something that you've heard Jesus say. Something that I've explained to you. Something that that, that Peter said we ought to live out. Or something that Paul said, you know, here's what it looks like to be full of the Spirit. Here's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what we've got to do. There's probably been something along the way in your faith journey that... I've said, or you've said, or God has said to you, and you've said, I think that's awesome. I think that's good. I just don't agree with it because it seems impractical. But good job. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. God can't do anything with it until you agree upon it with him. Okay? You, you, you'll never be a generous person. Until you put your trust in what Jesus says about generosity and you do it. You will never be able to forgive somebody as long as you think it's impractical. You're right. It won't be possible. You're right. We'll never see it in our lifetime. As long as you think that it can't happen, God can't do anything with it. Until you agree upon it, until you say, you know what? I don't, I don't see how this is possible. I don't see it happening by my strength, but by the grace of God, by the power of God, I'm going to put my trust in this. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to agree upon this and say, all right God, if that's what you say, if that's what you say about my sexuality, if that's what you say about my health, if that's what you say about generosity, if that's what you say about forgiveness, if that's what you say about for- forgiveness, if that's what you say about being angry, if that's what you say about loving others, if that's what you say about treating people, that's what you say about parenting my kid, then I will agree upon it with you whether I fully understand it or not. I will repent, I will embrace this, and I will submit to it, and I will live my life like that. Do you know what that is called? That is called faith. That is called faith. And here's the thing. If Peter were standing in front of you today, he would say, oh, man, I understand. I get it. Let me tell you about the time he told me I could walk on water. I mean, you're thinking, I can't forgive this person. Well, I'll give you one bigger. He told me I could walk on water. And for a second, I believed him. And then again, he makes himself look like an idiot. He goes, I believed him for a second and I almost did it. And then you know what I did? I almost drowned. Let me tell you about the time he told us he was going to die and three days later, exactly three days later, he was going to pop out in front of us. I didn't believe him then either. I watched the man die. I watched that man's body get collected off a wooden cross that was mutilated and beaten to death and I watched him get put in a tomb. And let me tell you, when he told me he was going to be alive three days later, I didn't believe him then either. But if Peter were standing in front of you today, he would say, look, whatever that tension is, whatever that doubt you have, whatever that thing that you can't repent, that you can't get in line with with God, that you can't submit to, that thing that is keeping you, you are so so close. The kingdom of God has come so near to you and you are so not far to submitting to it and being sanctified by it and being all in that one piece of tension that is keeping you from living the life that God has always wanted. you to believe. God has always wanted you to have. Let me tell you what I saw. What I saw each time he proved me wrong. Every time when he said it was possible, it was real, that it could be done by his power, by his love, by his grace. Every time I disagreed with him, every time I pulled him apart and saying, Look, that is very impractical. I think you're a little bit out of your mind. He would always prove me wrong. And do you... You know why this gets me emotional? You know why this gets me this emotional? It's because as your pastor and as your friend, for so many of you, there is this thing that I I could preach I could preach till a, a horse is dead about. I could preach about it. I could preach about it. I could do series after series about it. I could dress it up so many different ways and I could say it. And you could say, hey, good job. That was awesome. I just don't think it's practical. And you choose not to repent and you choose not to submit and believe. And I sit up in my office and I stay up late at night and I wake up early in the morning. I literally woke up yesterday at 5 a.m. for no reason. My alarm didn't even go off yet. And I was just like, oh, man. And I think about you and I think about your faces and I think about your situations and I think about the conversations we've had. And I thought, my goodness, the kingdom of God has come so near to them and they are so not far. But they are unable to repent and believe. Because it's impractical. Because it doesn't make sense. Because they've never seen anybody do it before. And they just don't believe in the kingdom and the power of God. And that's what breaks my heart a lot of times. Because I know there's nothing more I can do. Because I know it's it's a personal thing between you and Him. And I can't say it any different All I can do is pray that God breaks through and convinces you to agree upon it with Him. And to repent and to believe. Peter, he would tell you, the thing that he had to capture, the thing he had to get down before he said anything else, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news and to repent and to believe to get on board with the way the kingdom works the way the king thinks the way the community operates to embrace his design and to submit to it that's called faith that is faith that is what it means to have faith not that you not that you think it's possible Not that you agree upon it, but that you've put your trust in it, even though you don't fully understand it, you've put your trust in it because of what he said and because of maybe not what you've seen, but what others have seen, people like Peter have seen. Peter would tell you, if Peter was in front of you, his sermon would be very, very simple. He would say this. He would say, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God, is that the kingdom of God has come near to you repent and believe and you know what the reason they that may not resonate with you the reason that that may not feel like good news is is because I, i don't know what version of religion you grew up with you know I, I don't know what you grew up with. I don't know if it was Catholic. I don't know if it was Lutheran. I, I don't know if it was traditional. I don't know if it was Sunday school. I, I don't know what it was. And so for some of you, for a lot of us who are, you know, adults, we, we look at that and we go, it's, it's, it never really felt like good news though, Pastor. That's why I've sometimes had a hard time submitting to it. It's why I've had a hard hard time giving to it. Because it has not always been good news to me. It's felt like behavior modification. It's felt like religious stuff. It's felt like temple mindset set. It's felt like a legalistic religious ritual. I get that. I see, I've seen that. I mean, we're in the middle of Lent. We see a lot of people doing that right now. I've had so many conversations with people. Why are you doing that? I, I don't know. But just that's what we're supposed to do during this time, and we. Religion has done some weird, twisted things to us. I get it. But here's the thing. If Peter were in front of you today, he would tell you this. He would say, if your version of Christianity is not good news, it may not be the original version. And Peter would tell you, if it's not the good news, if it's not about how Jesus came near when you were far, it ain't my version. And it's not my story. Because the story that I have to tell is about the good news. About how God came to earth in human form. The king left his throne and he brought his kingdom here to earth. And he showed us how to be a citizen of heaven. He showed us how to be a part of his kingdom. He adopted us into this family. And he made us a part of it and this is what he taught and this is what he said and this is what he how he explained his kingdom and if you would repent and believe here's the thing jesus would make your life better and make you better at life because that is what he came to do but again a lot of this you already know the choice though is yours whether you will repent and believe. And agree upon it with him. And what you will see happen is God will transform you from the inside out. Will you bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite the band to come back. and We're going to sing a song about the good news. It's a song that we found not too long ago. And for somebody this morning... Who hasn't experienced the good news. Who doesn't know about how good Jesus is. I want to pray for you this morning. Because this may be totally different for you. This may be totally new to you. That It has never sounded like good news. It has always been about religion. It has always been song and dance. It has always been about jumping through hoops. This morning, I want to give you a chance to hear the good news. And for others of you this morning, I, I, I want for you this morning to know that whatever that tension is, whatever that thing is, that you have not been able to repent. You have not been able to get on board with. You have not been able to give yourself to it, submit to it, believe in it. Gosh, I'm, I want you to know I'm praying for you so hard. You have no idea. I am praying so hard for you that you would be able to lay that down and adopt The kingdom of God. Father, as we worship this morning, as we sing about your good news, would you this morning speak to our hearts, speak to our lives. You know what that tension is right now. You know what that thing is that we have not laid down in front of you. Would you help us this morning to repent and believe? Because we are so not far from you. Will you, Your kingdom has come so near to us. It has touched my heart this morning. Would you this morning have a breakthrough in us? God, we pray this in your name, amen. Will you stand this morning as we sing this song?